Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the BBM Global Network with 25 years in broadcast audio and video production. Our passionate team creates content and marketing for the world of Internet talk radio. If you've got a passion, come join us at BBMGlobalNetwork.com. The BBM Global Network. Your voice is now heard. Welcome to MD for Moms with your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. Reproductive psychiatry, integrative medicine, or just someone to talk to. Dr. Carly is here to provide moms with personal solutions so they may experience physical and emotional well-being and find joy in motherhood. Please welcome the host of MD for Moms, Dr. Carly Snyder. Welcome. You are listening to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. I'm a reproductive and perinatal psychiatrist, meaning I work with women struggling with emotional symptoms throughout their reproductive This show, MD for Moms, is dedicated to helping women enjoy life more, to maximizing health and wellness, and to improving women's relationships with themselves and with others. And throughout the show, I'm going to remind you that you are welcome to call and ask us any question you may have live on air. The number is 866-451-1451. And we are continuing our Mama Docs on Call series where I introduce you to physicians who are also moms, and they're here to provide information and support geared to you and your family. And I am really, I'm, I can't tell you how much I've been looking forward to this show. We have Dr. Anna Gross with us, who's an ENT in Oregon, and she is involved in mass vaccinations in her state. Um, and we're going to learn all about the COVID vaccine and, you know, the different vaccines and how to get one and so much more. I'm really, we'll just jump right in because I'm so excited. So welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So what do you do? What's your job? Yeah, so I am an ENT, head and neck surgeon um, by practice. I mostly focus on ear surgery, but I take care of all sorts of problems of the head and neck. A lot of people would be familiar with um, children with ear problems, needing ear tubes, or getting your tonsils out as a child. That's the sort of work that I do. But I also do um, a lot of hearing surgery, so cochlear implantation and other hearing reconstruction and chronic ear surgery. The other half of my job is as a clinical informaticist. I actually just got my board certification um, past that uh, just this, this last fall. 
And that's been a big part of what I've been doing this year, having to do with COVID-19. So medical informatics or clinical informatics is a field that uh, merges the technology side of healthcare using the electronic health record and interfaces and pieces like that with the um, human side and how do we integrate you know, data and data collection with um, our clinical practice, improving efficiency, um, and part of my job trying to, um, you know, make things easier for our clinicians uh, because in our field, we actually have quite a bit of burnout. Um, and so when the um, COVID um, pandemic started, we were really tasked with building tools to facilitate technical tools in the healthcare IT system to facilitate, you know, collecting the information, tracking it, understanding uh, when people needed quarantine or if we were seeing a patient who was at risk and uh, providing all of those types of tools to our um, clinical teams, both in the hospital and, and you know, ambulatory. So um, now we've sort of moved on to vaccination work and part of the work has been to help um, ramp up vaccinations, document, make sure that all the information gets sent to the state registries um, and gets recorded in people's charts um, for, for longevity, but also um, helping to set up uh, mass vaccination sites so that we can vaccinate large numbers of people and get all of us back to um, you know, our pre-pandemic lives. Oh, that would be really nice. That's, um, it seems like, uh, it, there are days where it seems like it's close and days where it feels like it's not. Um, you must have been like thrown in in March. I mean, because or were you? Did you guys know about this earlier? You know, obviously there was info about COVID-19, you know, in January, February, et cetera, of last year. But, I mean, I think most of us were not really ready for what hit mid-March, at least in New York it was mid-March. Um, did you kind of get thrown out of um, left field into this new COVID world? Absolutely. Our first case in Oregon was identified as what we call a PUI or a person under investigation on February 27th. And that, that date is sort of frozen in my mind because we had been talking for a little while about this virus and sort of paying some peripheral attention to it. Um, our, our technical folks had created a travel questionnaire and we were going to implement that questionnaire for use in the emergency department and urgent cares and in primary care when needed. Uh, and on that day, I had a meeting with our chief of infectious disease where he said, okay, it's time, turn it on. And not only that, but he wanted another alert. And that was an intense day because at that point, no one really realized um, how big of a deal this was. And I became quickly aware that this was a much bigger deal than people thought. And from that day, for the next couple weeks, as others were starting to get the sense that this was going to be significant, our um, first patient with um, COVID-19 in Oregon had no travel history. And that was really shocking to us. So we had this tool, but the, the tool wouldn't have even identified this patient. So that was sort of our first clue that there's more going on here. Um, and it really just at that point, we had to make a decision of who was going to do this work. I, my area in uh, clinical informatics is called clinical decision support. So helping you make good decisions about pr the practice of medicine based on the information, you know, in the patient's chart already, for example, their history, their problems, their lab results, and bringing that information to 
you at your fingertips so that you can make the right decisions. And so that was, um, it was decided that I would be the, um, the individual who would sort of spearhead this work with my partner. Um, and, um, and that's how we got started. So it was, it was pretty intense and it continued and, and continues to this day. It's a very different world than what we were living in, um, you know, in early February. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I feel like it was, you think about it, it's been a year, um, you know, just about, and uh, I was talking to my grandmother this morning, who's in her early 90s, healthiest woman I know, by the way, but she has been essentially in quarantine since that time, by choice, right, she's just protecting herself, but she was saying that around this time a year ago, or maybe it was early March, she was driving towards her doctor's office and there's like a long walk and she saw three people and they were walking and they didn't look so good. And so she offered to give them a ride to the front door and they all got in and they were all coughing and she didn't think anything of it. She just thought she was doing a good Samaritan deed. And thank God she didn't get sick. Right. But it's so amazing because between that time and then two weeks later, everyone was, you know, being told, well, the mask thing was so a little ways off, but everyone was stuck, you know, told to go inside. And the change is just so profound. Right. Who now would see someone walking on the street coughing and be like, oh, here, let me give you a ride. We don't do that. It's like the world has completely shifted upside down. Um, Thank God she didn't get sick. But anyway, um, so. When did you start to get involved? When was the vaccine something that you pivoted towards? Interestingly, uh, so my partner and I, um, who we, you know, we, we spent a lot of uh, virtual time together um, working on this because I, I do have clinical responsibilities and she sort of shoulders the burden when I'm not uh, available for things like meetings. Um, but we were concerned that we needed a plan for vaccines when they became available. And we started thinking about this, if I'm honest, probably back in October, November, and we realized the trials were happening and that we weren't sure when any of the vaccines would actually be available. But we as a system, um, you know, I didn't mention this, but I work at Kaiser Permanente. And so, you know, our mission and our model of care is really about population health. And so a pandemic is actually the the time that, in my opinion, we shine. Um, We really know how to do population health. And so I felt that we needed to get ahead of this and consider how we were going to um, pursue our vaccination campaign. So I um, contacted a lot of individuals on various teams, both locally and nationally within um, Kaiser Permanente, to try to see, okay, what are people doing to plan for this? And throughout the pandemic, it's always been a question of, is anyone else already doing this? And can we leverage what they've learned to, you know, to, to not have to kind of recreate the wheel? And what we found is that really nobody was thinking about it because frankly, everyone was just working so hard on managing, um, you know, the disease, the consequences of disease and, and, and ill patients that they weren't thinking about vaccination. So we continued to press forward and then very suddenly, um, you know, Pfizer uh, put in their EUA request and then we all of a sudden realized, okay, this is real. And then we're gonna start getting vaccine doses and we need to do something with it. Like we wanna get those in people's arms as quick as we can. So we really kicked into high gear. Um, and, and so the action really didn't start till December. I think um, we in KP Northwest gave our first 
uh, dose on either December 18th or 19th. I was actually, um, I was able to get my dose um, the second day that we were offering shots um, at my first dose, because I, I do hospital work and we had prioritized our, our hospital frontline workers. So um, it really uh, wasn't that long ago. You know, what is that? That's, that's you know, two, you know not even two months ago. Yeah. I mean, that's what's crazy. It's, are you guys, I'm in New York where the vaccine rollout has been, uh, let's say, less than particularly clear, right? The, in terms of, um, you know, smoothness, to, so to speak. I mean, there are some hospitals apparently in New York that are doing great, and there are some that are doing terribly. They're, they just came out with a list of best and worst, and New York's hospitals are on both ends of the spectrum. Um, have you guys felt that your plan thus far is working well? Are people, is it like a seamless thing at this point, or is it still a little rocky? I think there's a lot of highlights of things that we're doing well, and there's still quite a few challenges. So I, I actually have access to a website that kind of looks at how are you doing. And it's very interesting. Uh, I did not know this, but Oregon is the 18th best in terms of doses uh, administered, and New York is just below us as the 19th best. So very really? close. Um, Oregon has, uh, the state has received a little over 800,000 doses. Obviously, we have a, a smaller population. New York has received almost 3.5 million doses. And we've administered of those 800,000, uh, 570,000. And of the um, 3.5 million that New York has received, they've administered almost 2.5 million. So they've administered about two thirds and we're a little above that. So, um, so percentage wise, it looks like New York is getting 71.23% and we're getting 71.49%. That's, that is pretty good. Cause as, as you probably know, that there's various, there's storage requirements. Um, we don't really find out from the federal government uh, when we're going to get the doses till about a week before, and then we have to make sure that we have appointments. So it's this constant game of, do I have enough appointments to deliver the shots I have, but I don't want to have too many appointments because what if I don't get my allocation? And then um, I don't want people who have appointments to be told they can't get their vaccine. So uh, it's, it's very difficult. And one thing I would say to your listeners is please be patient with your public health um, uh, you know, teams and your hospital systems and your healthcare organizations, because we're working in this very unusual situation where we just aren't able to plan ahead very well. And we're not good at that. We do much better when we have time to plan things out, but we're really being told you must deliver those doses within a week. I mean, that's been a priority, which is right. Um, but in doing so, it means that we can't set up appointments too far in advance because the the doses that we receive change so much. And so you would ask, um, you know, how are things going in our state? And, and there are some real highlights. So um, in Salem, the Salem Health uh, set up a, a mass vaccination site, first one in the state, uh, in the fairgrounds. And we went down there to actually observe and learn from them. And they've, uh, one thing that I've seen in this pandemic has been the, the collaboration among healthcare systems that previously were competitors. So we've done a lot of that. And, um, and so they've done a great job. But for example, this week, this week they got no doses. So, um, you know, it's just a uh, very um, challenging, fast moving situation. So we really appreciate the patience of the public in all of this. 
That makes a lot of sense. Well, we're going to take a brief break. You're listening to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network at iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Center, and we are speaking to Dr. Anna Gross about the COVID vaccines. After the break, does it matter which vaccine you get? And are both doses important? Plus, what about this whole lack of smell and taste? What is that about? And we're going to learn more about the details. Don't go away. Have you ever felt like no one is listening or you're not getting the honest attention you deserve? Do you even know the kind of attention you want or need? You are not alone. Alice Aspen March is here to help. Thanks to Alice, through her epiphany and research over the word attention, there are solutions to the attention dilemma. Worldwide audiences have been enthralled and engaged for over 40 years with her visionary and pioneering observations. The kind of attention we get and give is vital to improving our lives and society. Alice and her weekly guests review game-changing insights for transforming and improving our understanding of attention, providing techniques for creating healthier and empowering behavior. Get a new perspective on a mainstream word. Tune into Why Our Attention Matters for fresh and thought-provoking conversations every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern on BoldBraveMedia.com and the TuneIn Radio app. If you seek a courageous advocate, prepare to champion your rights with consumer service agencies that support aging populations, Carol Ann Hamilton is the one for you. Carol Ann is an elder care coach, author, and speaker with a quarter million hours lived experience successfully supporting unculpable aging parents. As a result of a challenging journey, Carol Ann revolutionizes how stressed-out caregivers restore serenity to their worlds. She also brings over 25 years of change management expertise in Fortune 500 settings to catalyze urgent transformation within the elder care industry. Carol Ann is a popular speaker at conferences across North America. She has appeared via TV, radio, and print globally. Now you can tune in weekly to get a dose of her inspiration plus down-to-earth advice to cope with even the most difficult aging parents. Listen Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. Welcome back to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Center, and we are speaking to Dr. Anna Gross about the COVID-19 vaccines and rollouts. And we'd love to hear from you. If you have a question, give us a call, 866-451-1451. So, you know, how, I was saying in the break that I... I ha- I'm getting my second shot on Friday, and before getting my first, I, I, you know, was a little worried, and I had some question about whether I should wait because, you know, as a physician, you are closer up on the line, right? But but maybe I I should have given it to someone else. Of course, the truth is that it's not how it works. You can't allocate your dose to someone else. Um, but how? What what are your thoughts on people who are you know, so-called jumping the line. I know there was a big thing, uh, one of the New York City hospitals, because someone from, I think, like PR or something like that, you know, some not at all medically related, but worked at, at one of the hospitals, got the vaccine on like day one, and that became a big to-do. What are your feelings about people who are kind of uh, trying to undercut the system? 
Yeah, so um, those stories are, you know, there's news stories about people cutting the line or about, you know, cheating, you know, sort of finding back doors into making appointments or um, sort of, um, you know, VIP lists or, you know, hey, show up at the end of the day and if there's extra doses, you'll get them. You know, what I would say is I would sort of ask, um, you know, all of our all of our citizens to be, you know, um, we need to be caring for our entire community and we need to um, wait for our place in line. Now, various states are setting, you know, different criteria. So almost every state uh, in the United States has set, you know, healthcare workers as priority 1A, meaning the first group who gets vaccinated starting generally with hospital workers, those at highest risk, and then working down that level of risk. Um, and then adding in, in that group, you know, caregivers at home and, you know, long-term care facility employees and other healthcare workers, EMS in some cases, firefighters and police. Um, and then continuing to work down either by age or, um, you know, for essential workers. And it varies by state. So some states, for example, in Oregon, we, are, we started with teachers before going to the age group. Um, but Washington, which is right across the river from us, has not started vaccinating teachers and they're doing 80 plus. But what's happening is some people are figuring out a way to get an appointment, even though it's not their turn. You know, I would really implore people, wait your turn. Please wait your turn. We, everyone will get a dose who wants one. Um, you know, we are on track to get, um, you know, our population vaccinated by this summer. I mean, Fauci has and, 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 and Biden have... Um, you know, set these goals. And, and you know, I know in Oregon, um, you know, on Friday, we got a report from our um, director of the Oregon Health Authority that we are actually a month ahead of schedule. And part of that has been, you know, delivering doses. And, you know, as we as we do this, we get better. And part of that is that, you know, as we get new vaccines approved, we will, you know, exponentially increase the number of doses available. So you will get your dose. Please remember all the people who have been working and who have been at higher risk while we've been in this pandemic, let's get those folks protected uh, first. And then, you know, everyone will get their turn. Um, so, yeah, I would just implore people um, to consider, you know, the, the health of the community, you know, at large. Now, does it matter which one you get? Um, you know, obviously you don't really have a choice, right? Once you have an appointment, you show up and whatever they got is what you're getting. But um, I've heard yesterday someone was like, well, Moderna is stronger. And I was like, I don't actually think that's true. But I was, but I wanted to, you know, pose to you, does it matter at this point which of the, what are now two uh, approved vaccines, uh, does it matter which one you get? So um, my, my own mother asked me this question and um, I said to her that uh, a good vaccine is the vaccine you could get. So mm -hmm. um, that's that's my you know tongue in cheek answer. Um, also, uh, if you talk to the infectious disease experts around the country and ask them what they would tell their family members, even for example, so so just to compare, um, so Pfizer and Moderna have been shown to be you know one of them is 95% effective and the other 94%. You can slice it and dice it with different populations, but that's at getting disease and then severe disease. So nobody got severe disease in any of the studies um, with with either of these vaccines. So really, you know, very few people. So out of every hundred, that means, you know, out of a hundred people, five got sick, none of them got severe disease. So maybe it was just like a little cold. All right. So just to put that in perspective, um, both of those are phenomenal 
most vaccines we have today are nowhere close. The goal we set for a successful vaccine was somewhere between 50 and 70 percent. We have just blown that out of the park. And what that's done is it's made it challenging for other vaccines to, to sort of stand up, even though, for example, Johnson & Johnson looks like it's, it's on average in the 70 percent range, doesn't look as good. But if you talk to the experts, they will all say, if you can get a Johnson & Johnson dose once the EUA, you know, if, if approved, if you can get a Johnson & Johnson dose today versus a Pfizer or Moderna dose three months from now, get your shot today because your protection will start within a few weeks and you will not, you know, you'll, you will be protected um, very significantly from a severe case and, you know, somewhat from a, uh, from a mild case. And uh, the disease is not worth waiting that period of time. So they are all good vaccines. And because of the nature of this pandemic and the limited supply, if you can get a dose, you should, you should take it, regardless of which, um, you know, manufacturer it comes from. Now, what of, uh, and I'm curious also vis-a-vis -vis planning, but, you know, there are these variants now that are getting more press, right? I mean, and, and obviously there's a fair amount in, like, medical literature and on, you know, the various medical like, Facebook groups, people are talking about it, whatever. But now I think it's also just, um, you know, CNN and what have you, they're all covering that the uh, South African and Brazilian variants, the question of how well these vaccines will cover for those. Um, it sounds like the one in the UK will be covered, but are you guys making contingency plans in terms of having to either give a booster or, you know, something of that nature, um, presuming that they're able to, you know, synthesize something to then cover for these new variants? So the short answer is, you know, n none of these plans have been finalized, but there's a lot of discussion happening. So first of all, um, you know, there does seem to still be protection against uh, the variants uh, from these vaccines. There, the, ver the protection varies based on the vaccine and based on the variant. So it looks like the UK variant, um, you know, the vaccines that we have, the Pfizer and the Moderna are, are protective, or I don't know if it's equally protective, but they're strongly protective. Um, and and even the other vaccines in development, obviously they're they're looking at this very closely. And if they uh, you know find, uh, for example, uh, there was some news over the last few days um, in South Africa that a trial was halted of um, AstraZeneca because the um, effectiveness of preventing uh, mild to moderate disease was pretty low, only about um, it was like 10 percent. So they they didn't. Um, continue. That doesn't mean it wasn't effective at presenting, preventing severe disease. It was actually a study looking at young people. They didn't really have anyone who got severe disease, so they couldn't really um, answer that question. So it may actually be more effective at preventing severe disease, which is the big thing that we're trying to prevent. Um, but it wasn't as effective at preventing you know, any disease. So, um, so that's, that's one thing that the vaccines we currently have do provide um, protection against the new variants to, to, to different degrees. Um, but all of the manufacturers are already looking at and have talked about, um, you know, designing boosters that will um, cover the variants. And what that means um, for, for practical purposes is that the, because they have already gone through these large-scale trials, the trials that they will have to go through with the newer versions of these vaccines will be shorter 
and they will require smaller numbers of people. And what that means is that we'll get those faster. And at some point, we very likely will um, have some sort of booster system. So it may or may not look like uh, how we vaccinate for the flu, where you get a shot every year and the shot covers, you know, a, a you know, a bunch of strains that we think might be in circulation that year. Um, I don't know if it's going to be, do we have to get, you know, a COVID booster every year? Is it every three years? Nobody knows that yet. But I think that it is likely that we will have some sort of booster system. The other thing I want to point out is vaccinating more means less variant. So the longer that the uh, virus has to be out in the community, replicating quickly and finding new people who are susceptible, the easier it is, the more it replicates, the more chance it has to change and mutate and become a new variant. And so by vaccinating people and preventing the vaccine from replicating and spreading through, you know, those those people, those hosts, um, you are going to reduce the number of variants. And so you, you also mentioned the question about, you know, a single dose versus two doses. And I know that in the UK, they took this approach to get as many people their first dose as they could and delay the second doses. In the US, we have not done that. And, you know, Dr. Fauci has been very clear that, that we don't think we're gonna go that direction. And one of the recent uh, concerns for that is that you really only get a partial immunity from that first dose. And there is a concern that we won't, uh, control the um, spread of variants as well if we don't do those two doses. So again, I would say, you know, the the, um, the uptake rate of the second dose is very high, but it's not 100%. So if you haven't gotten your booster, please go get your booster because having just a single dose is not as effective. And, and one of the things that it's not as effective against is this issue of variants. It's such an important point for people to remember um, in terms of the importance of if you get the opportunity, like the more people who are vaccinated, the better for everybody. Um, now, what about kids? Um, do you guys have plans? I mean, obviously they're not yet approved. There are trials underway um, in teenagers, I think. I don't think younger than teens, but I'm not sure. But is the thought that they will presumably be in the same kind of path as adults or will pediatricians be in charge of this? What? What have you guys been thinking so far? So uh, what's happening with with children? So right now, um, you know, we can vaccinate down to age 16. And there are currently trials ongoing from age 12 to 16. Um, so basically, uh, we will be vaccinate. We will be studying kids uh, as in a step down fashion, going younger and younger and eventually we'll get all our kids uh, vaccinated. We can go into a little bit more detail about that after the break because it's a pretty big question. It is. So we have to take a brief break now. You're listening to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Sender, and when we return, we're going to talk more about kids, plus a little more, we're going to touch on COVID and um, various symptoms like not being able to smell and taste. And once you're vaccinated, Does that mean you can like move around with impunity or do we still have to be careful? Stay with us. Tune into It's All About You with host Dr. Martha Latz, a lively weekly broadcast on BBM Global Network, one of the most empowering shows for time-starved, overscheduled multitaskers. The professional expertise of Dr. Latz is directly available live every Thursday at 1 p.m. to answer and address concerns about relationships, life transitions of career, meeting, 
dating, and committed relationships. It's All About You with Dr. Latz will expand your understanding of current concerns across your relationships by broadening and expanding possible solutions in developing skills for mutually desired outcomes. Dr. Martha's expertise is as a licensed marriage and family therapist, life, transition coach, and all things to do with communication at work, home, and with friends. Check out her website at auniquetherapycenter.com. Certified professional coach Pamela Reeves can help you with your relationships. Motivational and image coaching are just some of the ways she can help you enhance all aspects of your life. Her book, Is It Love or Merely a Sick Attachment?, helps readers clearly distinguish healthy, loving relationships from toxic ones. Ms. Reeves has put her words into action through Ray of Hope Kenya, an international initiative that provides outreach to victims of abusive relationships there with the goal of helping them rebuild their lives and the tools to avoid abuse. Ms. Reeves operates various business interest through her umbrella network, Nella LLC, and credits her success to her diverse work experience. Whatever your goals, whether striking a balance, reinventing your image, or simply lifting your lifestyle, Pamela Reeves will help you achieve them. Your life, your call. Dial 410-902-5715 or email Pamela at pamreg01 at verizon.net. She's also on the web at pamreeves.com and on Twitter at Pamela underscore Reeves. Welcome back to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Center, and we are speaking to Dr. Anna Gross about the COVID-19 vaccines. And if you have a question, there is still time to give us a call, 866-451-1451. So just closing up the issue of kids, um, the idea is over time, children will will get it as well? Yeah, so right now, as I said, you know, children from age 12 to 16 are being studied. And the way they do these, um, they call them, I think, age de-escalation trials is, you know, they study the, the next group of kids and then they, they make sure that it's safe, but they don't have to do trials as big as they've done in adults. And then they just sort of march down in age until they get all, all children studied. Um, but you, the trials don't have to be as, as large and they don't have to go as long because we're really looking for safety because we know that the, um, that the vaccines are effective. So it just allows for it to move a little bit more rapidly. So eventually, you know, the children will be able to be vaccinated. I don't, I haven't heard a specific timeline, but I wouldn't be surprised if we were able to vaccinate, you know, like our, our middle-aged kids you know, by the summer, and then it may take, you know, I don't know if it would take into the fall, I'm just making this up, you know, to get some of our younger uh, kids vaccinated. But remember that most kids um, don't have as severe of a case. It's, it's pretty rare other than the, uh, you know, the, 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 the multi-system inflammatory syndrome, which is a, a unique and pretty rare uh, condition. And then the other thing is younger children, you know, under 10 don't seem to transmit it as readily, which is one of the reasons why it's been felt that uh, pretty safe to get back to school, you know, with just the uh, adults uh, vaccinated and masking, of course, you know, masking works. So speaking of masking, and, and I definitely want to be sure to get in um, about pregnant and breastfeeding women, but just very quickly, people who are vaccinated, can they, do you think that they should be able to comfortably like move around with impunity, not wear a mask? eat indoors all you know restaurants all of that 
or should we, despite being vaccinated, still be careful? So we need to follow our public health guidance. And right now, despite being vaccinated, you need to follow all of the same rules as those who are not vaccinated, which means masking, social distancing, avoiding large groups, um, you know, all of the same things that we've been doing for this year. I know everyone's exhausted. I know it feels like, gosh, if I could just get vaccinated, then I, I have freedom. Um, you know, we just don't have enough information yet. At first, there was this concern of asymptomatic spread, and that still is a concern. If you have been vaccinated, does that mean that you just don't get sick? Or does it mean that if you were exposed to someone who had COVID, could you still spread it to others? And we are getting more data that is being studied and it's looking promising. So my hope would be that we eventually learn that yes, once you're vaccinated, you're not really spreading the disease as much either, but we don't have that information. And so we just need to hang on until we get there, until we have that safety. And you'll know because the public health guidance in your state and from the CDC will change as we learn more and feel more confident with how you know, effective the vaccines are. And what about um, our pregnant and breastfeeding population? I, I know ACOG, the American um, College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, just came out, I think within the last week, uh, with a statement saying that they are encouraging people to get vaccinated when they're pregnant and breastfeeding, um, that the benefit outweighs any theoretical risk. But at this point, are you, from a you know uh, boots on the ground standpoint, are you guys recommending it still or not? Yeah. So ACOG, the CDC, and and most public health, uh, if not all organizations, agree that um, the benefits of vaccination far outweigh the risks of COVID. And this is a really important point because I know there's a lot of people out there and this applies for both for both pregnancy and breastfeeding, but also just general folks in the community who are hesitant to take a, a new drug that has not been on the market for very long and are worried about the safety. When we look at the safety and whether you should get a vaccination, you're not comparing the risk of the vaccine to no risk at all you are comparing the risk of the vaccine to the risk of the disease. So for example, if you go out in your car and drive on the freeway, that risk is higher than the risk of the vaccine, okay? And the risk of getting a complication of COVID disease is higher than the risk of the vaccine. Now, there is no such medicine out there. There's, there's very few things you can do in life that have zero risk, right? Other than living in a bubble. And so I think one of the fallacies that, and one of the mistakes that people make is, um, I don't want to take this new vaccine, particularly Pfizer and Moderna, because they're mRNA, it's, it's a new technology. I mean, the technology is not super new, but using it as a vaccine is new. And so I don't, what if it messes with my DNA or, uh, you know, what if it has some unknown consequence? Um, I had these concerns and I, that's why I did my own research. I, I read all the literature on it. And certainly, I mean, the studies are large, um, they continue. So the, the more people that we vaccinate, the more information we collect. And we are not, first of all, um, mRNA does not go into the nucleus, which is where your, your, your genetics, your DNA lives. So it cannot change your, your genes, your genetics, your DNA. 
Um, so that's not possible just based on the nature of it. It gets broken down before it could, you know, it could get there. Um, but it's not, um, you know, when you look at the side effects of the vaccine, there, we're not seeing significant side effects. And generally for vaccines, and obviously we've been vaccinating for, you know, um, you know nearly 100 years here, uh, you know, most, most side effects would be encountered in the first two months. And we have way more data than that now. So um, these vaccines are generally very safe. And if you compare the risk of getting a vaccination to the risk of getting the disease, there is no comparison at all. And so going back to your original question about pregnancy and breastfeeding, um, although the data initially wasn't really there, if you look at the relative risk of getting the disease versus getting a vaccination, the vaccination was favored. And that's why the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology and the CDC and all of these other organizations really recommend that pregnant women get their vaccine and that breastfeeding women get their vaccine because the benefits of getting a vaccine far outweigh the risks of getting COVID-19 while pregnant or while lactating and potentially passing it on to your baby. Um, and th that to me is the way you need to look at your decision-making here. That's so important for people to hear because I think there's a lot of understandable hesitancy and, and fear. Um, but as you know, COVID, getting COVID really is worse than any of the above, right? Beyond the acute illness, there's also this long haul syndrome that people are suffering with. Um, and, you know, from even just looking from the top down, neurologically, there are really there can be some long-lasting negative impacts, and we don't know how long these symptoms are going to persist for people. Um, so, you know, preventing that is great. Now, speaking of COVID, I want to make sure to ask you, as an ENT, people, you know, this notion of that there's a high chance that if you have COVID, you're going to lose your sense of taste and smell. But, you know, that's sort of a vague comment right and i've had a lot of patients say to me well what if things just don't taste as much as they used to or they don't smell as you know potently does that mean i should go get tested and so i'm curious what your answer is about that as an ent yeah, so this is interesting, uh, and, and it became uncovered by just ENTs around the world uh, very early on that they were noticing that some people had isolated, um, you know, smell and taste dysfunction or, you know, not working well um, in, without other symptoms or that it would be an early symptom. So um, just to be clear, it's much more common to lose your sense of smell than taste. Taste is salt, sweet, bitter, sour, and umami, and it's really most of what you think of as taste is actually smell. Um, so all the richness of flavor and, um, you know, it, it is really mostly smell. So um, if you go by self-reports, it, it varies. Um, I've seen different studies ranging from, you know, 30% of people reporting smell dysfunction to up to 80 or 90%. There have been some larger, um, you know, just sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, Cap, you know, population uh, studies looking at um, at um, lack of smell or anosmia, and they have seen uh, it as a consistent symptom of COVID, much more specific than some of the other things like cough and fever. And so, if you have just a lack of smell, um, you should really be concerned about COVID. Now, that being said, prior to COVID, we've always seen people with with smell problems. Um, 
And in fact, one of the theories is that a lot of this is due to viruses. Well, turns out COVID is one of those viruses because your smell receptors are in the top of your nose. And we know this is a respiratory virus. And so it doesn't attack the neurons themselves, but it actually seems uh, the information we're getting is it seems to attack the supporting cells um, that sort of pr provide you know, nutrients. The good news is, is that most people will recover their sense of smell, um, like 80 or 90 percent. It's very small. And that's usually within two to three months. Um, and of course, there's a range. Uh, but there are still some people who have longer lasting loss of smell. And if you know anyone who has lost their sense of smell, it turns out it's actually pretty important in your life. We don't we don't consider it as critical of a sense as like sight uh, or hearing, but it's actually uh, pretty important. Um, so it, I guess what I would say about this is that it's very common to lose your sense of smell with a COVID-19 infection. And if you do have a loss of smell, it's often sudden uh, and that's the only symptom then you should consider getting tested because you very, that very well may be the first sign. That is great information. I mean, it, and is the loss a complete loss or is there any component? Like if you, if you just sort of have a decrease in your sensitivity, is that something where you should go get tested or no? So I, it varies and it's, and it's difficult because if you, you know, some people just get a decrease in their sense of smell from being congested from allergies or from, you know, a, a, the common cold. Um, it, so it, it, it's a range, but it is very interesting that a lot of the people will report kind of a sudden and complete loss of smell, but that's not, you know, that's not in all cases. So uh, you could have a partial loss of smell. And I would certainly say if it came on pretty suddenly and you weren't having other allergy type symptoms that I would worry that that's, that that might be what's going on, especially if you've had an exposure. But then again, you know, you don't always know if you've had an exposure. Right. Well, that's the, I mean, that's what obviously makes some of this so much more difficult and the protracted um, period before, if you're going to, which makes COVID really has been hard for everyone. So we have to take a brief break. You're listening to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network, iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Center. And when we return, we're going to talk about like once you're vaccinated, should you feel safe, for example, eating in restaurants and more. According to the American Nurses Association, there are approximately three and a half to four million nurses in the United States. So where do all these nurses work? What kind of roles do they have? What kind of education and training help to prepare them for so many different settings? What kind of impact do nurses have on patient outcomes? The World Health Organization has announced that 2020 will be the year of the nurse, honoring the 200th birth anniversary of Florence Nightingale, an international initiative called Nurse now is underway to raise the profile of nursing. The National Academy of Medicine has convened a committee to create the future of nursing 2020 to 2030 that will focus on how the nursing profession can create a culture of health, reduce health disparities, and improve the health and well-being of the U.S. population. Learn more and join Joyce Batchelor on All About Nursing Wednesdays from 7 to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on the BBM Global Network. 
Mike Zorick, a three-time California state champion in Greco-Roman wrestling at 114 pounds. Mike, blind since birth, was born in Hartford, Connecticut. He was a six-time national placer, including two seconds, two-thirds, and two-fourths. He also won the Veterans Folkstyle Wrestling twice at 152 pounds. In all these tournaments, he was the only blind competitor. Nancy Zorick, a creative spirit whose talents have taken her to the stage and into galleries and exhibitions in several states. Her father, a commercial artist who shared his instruments with his daughter and helped her fine-tune her natural abilities, influenced her decision to follow in his footsteps. Ms. Zorick has enjoyed a fruitful career doing what she loves. Listen Saturday mornings at 12 Eastern for The Nancy and Mike Show for heartwarming stories and interesting talk on the BBC. BBM Global Network. Dr. R.C. will share extraordinary resources and services that promote educational success as well as making a difference in the lives of all social workers as well as the lives of children, adolescents, and teens of today. She will have open discussions addressing many of the issues that we face about our youth and how being employed in the uniquely skilled profession of social work for over 18 years has taught invaluable lessons through her personal experiences. She will also provide real-life facts, examples, and personal stories that will confirm that why serving as a child advocate is extremely beneficial when addressing the needs of the whole child. Listen live Saturdays, 10 a.m. Eastern on the BBM Global Network and tune in radio as Dr. R.C. will provide thought-provoking information that will empower, encourage, and strengthen students, families, and communities across our nation. You can also visit her at soarwithkatie.com. Welcome back to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Center, and we are speaking to Dr. Anna Gross. And one thing, so once you've been vaccinated, um, I mean, I think a lot of us have anxiety, for example. Like, I have not eaten in, I've eaten one time in a restaurant outdoors. Um, It was freezing, but, you know, we did it because... It was nice to actually go out. But once people are vaccinated, should they feel more comfortable if restaurants are open in their state, actually eating indoors and, or, and you were saying earlier, not socializing, but, you know, with their, someone from their family? This is such a tough question. And some of this is individual and it has to do with the risks that you're willing to take. Um, you always kind of have to do this risk-benefit analysis with your decisions. So I'm with you. I, I have not been eating in restaurants, even outdoors, for the entire pandemic. I ate in one outdoor restaurant once. Um, and, and otherwise, I've done takeout and I've eaten at home. And I've really avoid, um, avoided, you know, larger groups. Um, I'm very diligent following the public health guidelines. So in Oregon, um, even outside, you shouldn't be gathering with more than six people from two households. So that's the rule. And that's, is that the safe thing to do? I mean, you could argue you should be even less, you know, even more restrictive than that. And different states have different guidelines. I would say that we don't, again, we don't know yet whether you could be asymptomatic and still have it and transmit it. And so although you may feel safe for yourself, like the likelihood of me getting sick is really low. But do you have a family member that you see regularly who's part of your, you know, bubble or, or whatever, who um, is at risk? 
and how would you feel if you got that person sick? So um, those are the things that I use to decide, you know, about my behavior. Is in, And for me, I'm protecting my children and their father who um, has some, you know, medical conditions. And so I have to be more careful about my behavior. Uh, you know, I'm vaccinated now, but my children are not and won't be for a while. Um, and although the risk to kids is less, um, you know, there's still risk. And then, you know, are there other people, you know, in my um, – you know, in my bubble that are at risk. Uh, you know, the other uh, issue is, is my coworkers. And what we're seeing even in healthcare is that people are getting their infections outside of work and, and in their social lives and bringing them into work. So we just don't know what sort of freedom being vaccinated provides. In my mind, the more people we get vaccinated, the safer we will feel. And as that kind of data gets out there, we'll have a sense of what things you can and cannot do. Um, so uh, in Oregon, they have um, now uh, permitted that if you have been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, which after the Pfizer shot, it's seven days after your second dose. And for Moderna, it's two weeks after your second dose. You're considered to have full, you know, full, uh, you know, effect of the vaccination. Um, that if you get exposed to someone, you no longer have to quarantine. Now that's in Oregon, and, and that 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 is a little bit controversial. That that even though I might have been exposed, I don't actually have to do the 14-day quarantine. Um, but whether you should be out at restaurants, outdoor or indoor, uh, these are personal decisions you'll have to make. People are asking also about things like travel. You know, can I get on a plane? Should I travel? Um, you know, my, my, my parents would like to see my children and their, their niece, uh, who they haven't seen in over a year, and they both got their first doses and are about to get their second doses, and they're contemplating travel uh, by plane or, or by driving. And, you know, what are the risks of that, and is it worth it? And so there is no zero risk. It's really about what are the risks of doing this versus not doing this. And as you know, with your occupation, there's mental health risks to not uh, going to see family, and we've been we've been holding off on these things for a long time. So it's a very individual de decision. Um, but I, I would say just take into account all of the people that you um, you know that that you have exposure to, and it's not just your personal risk, but the risk that you're willing to take for those people as well. It's such an important point, right? We uh, unfortunately are a society that often thinks of me rather than we, but the we has been we need to think about we, right, vis-a-vis -vis COVID. It's just, and that continues once someone's vaccinated, it seems. Um, you know, and I, I think it's, as you correctly note, the mental health component of this has been profound. And the notion of COVID fatigue is real and is very present right now, especially in states that are cold for the winter. Um, it's getting tough, but we all have to, you know, hang in there as long as possible for the greater good, because then hopefully that means that sooner rather than later, we'll have things like free travel, freedom to go to live music outdoors, which for me is a, or indoors, live music for me is a huge thing. So I think everyone has their thing that they really miss. Um, and I, I would implore people to just think about how excited you'll be when you get to do that thing, but the value in being careful in advance of that um, for everyone, for the greater good. Um, now, what if someone is in your area and wants to find you as an ENT, how can they do so? 
So I, uh, I work at Kaiser Permanente, and um, so if you are a member, I can take care of you. We're a closed system. I, uh, you know, I don't see patients outside of our system. Um, that's probably the, the main way um, for an individual to find me. Um, I'm not a, a big participant in social media. I keep most of it fairly private. Um, but I, I do uh, at times, um, you know, make communications on behalf of, of our organization, Kaiser Permanente Northwest, and um, uh, but mainly keep my, my social media uh, fairly private. <laughs> well, I think that's, I mean, that's, that's smart. And it's, um, but, you know, I thank you. I think I'm going to give a global thank you to you for all the work that you've done on behalf of everyone for COVID. And, you know, in terms of uh, boosting and supporting and planning the vaccine rollout um, without people like you, we would really be, I don't even know where we'd be. We'd be in a very bad place. So um, thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. Thank you. This has been such an important and interesting show. I'm sure our listeners got a lot from it. I definitely did. Um, thank you to our listeners. Remember, if you missed any of this show, you can always download it as a podcast on iTunes, along with prior episodes or wherever you like to download your podcast from. And tune in again every Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern on iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, or boldbravemedia.com slash shows slash md hyphen for hyphen mom or again, anytime on iTunes. And remember, you can also always find me on my website, which is carlysnydermd.com. Feel free to email me any questions, ideas for future shows, what have you. I am happy to answer either privately or live on air, whatever you prefer. This has been an episode of MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network, Tuning Radio, iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder, and until next time, be well, stay safe, please wear a mask, continue to practice social distancing, enjoy life, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to MD for Moms with your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. Please join us each and every week for answers to the many challenging issues moms face today on the next episode of Dr. Carly's MD for Moms. been listening to the BBM Global Network. The ideas, views, and opinions of this broadcast are those of the participants of the program and are not necessarily the ideas, views, and opinions of the BBM Global Network Company. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.